And so we might say this is an experience of the void. You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we discuss digital culture, media, technology, and the humans who inhabit it all. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is mimeticist Dr. Jamie Cohen. Today, we are thrilled to welcome actor, legendary YouTuber, and host of the I Spent a Day With series, Anthony Padilla. If we would all take the time to get to, uh, to, to know someone, to ask questions, to, to really understand what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it, and you know, even find out what it is about the things that they're doing that, that brings them joy, that there would be so many less conflicts, there'd be so much less judgment in the world. Padilla joins us to discuss his evolution from the comic group Smosh to branching out on his own and creating a series that speaks to misunderstood and misrepresented communities. The Digital Void Podcast is supported by people like you. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on your favorite social media platform. Jamie and I took a few minutes to discuss the YouTube environment that Smosh was a part of to help contextualize Padilla's personal and professional transformation, and to take time to show you some of Padilla's work. Jamie and Anthony's conversation is to follow. Tell me about the environment that Smosh existed in on YouTube. You say Anthony is pre-YouTube. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so it's really important to the history of YouTube in general to focus on Smosh. Smosh predates YouTube. So Smosh started in the era of like a lot of those strange um, YouTube channels or video channels. There's always been this very uh, urban legendy type of reference that has never been corrected that once said there was 17,000 YouTubes before YouTube. I have to kind of believe that because there's just many, many video outlets that were just everywhere. And some of the most famous channels came from these extra channels, like Channel 101 delivered us Lonely Island. Um, and I don't remember where Smosh was beforehand, but I know they predated it by several years. And it was uh, this duo, uh, Ian Hecox and uh, Anthony Padilla, they are now in their early 30s and they are really de the def definition of millennial. Like that's what they are. And so when YouTube came out, they kind of migrated over as long as with everybody else. And in 2005, like early, early adopters of YouTube, Smosh became like one of the most formative products on the platform. And they at one point were literally the most subscribed channel. It was a very short lived part, but for a while it was there. They created this sketch type of content and this very interesting humor, but it was a lot of potty humor and a lot of weird, um, gross humor. It was really like one of those early YouTube type of like gross me out or gag reflex type of content, but it was designed specifically to create early YouTube formats. And I don't know if people remember Fred or, uh, some of the earliest like weirdo channels, but like those are, those are formative to how YouTube actually became what it is. It wasn't until like the 20 teens when the format started shifting to more serious content, more YouTuber vlogger-esque material. Right. And clearly as YouTube has evolved, so has Anthony. His new I Spent a Day With series is the opposite of the gross me out genre. He's spending time with misunderstood communities and working to create feelings of empathy. What do you appreciate about the way Padilla is approaching his new web series? I love his new series. I think this, the I Spent a Day With series is honestly 
very important to this current atmosphere. He started this series in around 2018. He went independent in 2017. And he, as he tells us, he he was like very, he took it kind of jokey. He comes from this comedy background. He's an actor. And he took it very lightly. And when he realized that the community itself, the actual authentic fans of Anthony Padilla were like, wow, man, like this is different. This is refreshing. I like, I like actually learning things while on here. It coincides with a period of history in YouTube that was <laughs> the opposite of the reactionary space. You know, YouTube had become from 2015 to 20, well, till present, really, the space for reactionaries to express themselves because they knew that the mainstream media was kind of like excluding them in many ways, well, because of the fairly horrendous ideologies. But like Anthony's content fits within this space that's like this uh, informative, but kind of compassionate work that I think that was really, really important at the time. And I think millennials who are really, really stressed out and, and uh, early Gen Zers who were like in this overwhelmed space came to his content to be like, you know what? Anthony Padilla is still Anthony Padilla, but now he's really curious. He's very interested in how people are underneath their their structures. And so he he interviews different people each time. And I think he he openly tells us that like after the the furries episode, that was when he realized, wow, he's onto something because he was what he was doing is very important, which is breaking down stigmatization. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people to get a feel of what Anthony's show I spent a day with is like. So here's a clip from the end of that Furries episode. Furries really aren't too different from the rest of us. They're creative people who enjoy taking on new personas in order to express themselves. And they found entire communities of people who accept them. Who are we to judge someone who's just living their best self? If anything, we should respect furries for being able to confidently express themselves despite such strong negative opinions from the general public. You always speak about the YouTube reactionaries who are really reactionary reactionaries, those who make their content based on the reactions of other people reacting to content. And to me, what it sounds like is you're saying that Anthony is the anti-anti-reactionary reactionary. Yeah. You know, if, if there's a way to like collapse that into something, that's why I'm not using that term for him, because you're right. It would be like the anti-anti. Uh, but yeah, as as I've worked on, you and I have talked about multiple occasions, is that we're in an era of the reaction-reactionary. People who literally have no ideological stance. They have a vacancy in uh, argumentation and they just simply create reaction for the clicks, the likes, and then the further reaction. They just want to get into bad faith arguments. If you watch Anthony Padilla's I Spent a Day With, there's no real bad faith argument in his show. He's very interested. And that's the biggest difference between reactionary and non-reactionary content is interest, actual, sincere curiosity. And so he actually displays that on camera. And I think his audience agrees with that. And when I spoke to him, he's enamored by this. He's like, always curious. He's like, oh my gosh, who can I meet next? What can I learn next? And I think that's important because he comes with his own bias, his own approach to kindness, but he also brings in this idea of like, what else can I learn? Really what he's doing is showing the human potential for social media instead of the Facebook, Twitter, MO of atomization and isolation and polarization. He is actually working to establish empathetic communities of people bonding over what may be considered by some to be atypical discussions. 
I think Anthony is doing the work here. And I think what I mean by doing the work means he's he's doing more than just interviewing. He's actually doing the research that's necessary. I think what he also does that I don't think he intended, and he and I spoke about this a bit, is he's actually creating um, a change in the way the algorithm recommends videos. And when he talks about certain subjects or each video on the right side of the screen, it is actually adding to the conversation. It's not reacting to his content. So it's not like a rebuttal. It's just more information or tangential links. Daniel Harper actually brought this up on his I Don't Speak German show, which is like, we have to be careful about what content we consume because that recommendation system kind of pushes us further into wherever we're going. And then the reactionary right, oftentimes that's the rabbit hole that like Kevin Roos even speaks about. But in our like world of like checking out like kind content or compassionate content, the, the algorithm's not really good at monetizing that. But what he's done is created an information cycle that actually helps out other YouTubers who are in that informative space. So if you look at his content, every episode kind of pushes you towards learning more. And I think that's a really uh, like, that's heartening. You know, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like it a lot too. And it's really heartening, as you say, to see how Anthony will speak to a community, even such as Pokemon collectors. You can listen to a bit here. After spending the day with these Pokemon card collectors, I've come to appreciate their dedication and passion to their hobby. These collectors derive a sense of childlike wonder and joy with these cards, which is something we could all strive to obtain for ourselves in our own unique way. And be able to really create, even within more stereotypically nerdy communities, this real true and felt connection. However, you and Anthony actually end up in a really raw and authentic place in this interview because you speak about dealing not just with the multiple crises that we face in the world today, but how you handle just being a creator, being a YouTuber, and to hear this kind of conversation from two prolific people, one who founded and directed uh, an entire new media degree at a university and another who has a YouTube channel, multiple YouTube channels, with an audience of millions of people, it is, it's a really raw and authentic conversation. I, I really was interested in it. I really appreciate the work he's doing. And I, I, I wasn't shocked at all by sincerity, but I could hear his sincerity through, through the mic, through him. Like, he's genuine. Like, this is real stuff. And it's like, from my research, like, literally 15 years of studying these YouTubers, you, like you, you get the sense there's like, where's that fine line between like authenticity and sincerity. And like, I felt it with him. I felt like he obviously knows how to monetize himself, but he's also very sincere about his work. And so I think that's, that to me is important. And I think it's also important to, he recognizes and he says it on his show is that this is tough. This is, we're going through a tough time. Like, I don't think it matters who you are. I think what matters most is that we confront the realities that we're really stressed out and that anxiety is like kind of part of how we deal. But it's also like we have to negotiate spaces and you and I have spoken about this and it's like how do we negotiate like mental health safety and mental health continuity as we go forward through this what will be continually a, a tough times. And he he's battled his own anxieties and battled his own history of anxiety that this, he's got outlets. And I think when we go way, way back, I think it was like 2011 for the film, Please Subscribe, one of the earliest YouTube films. It really was like an enlightening film that I showed in my YouTuber class for years because it was like just a, a 
reminder to students that they're not alone. And I think a lot of vlogging today is looked at very cynically and vloggers and YouTubers are using this platform to kind of like negotiate that space to express themselves in a space that allows them to emit emotion and personality without being uh, dismantled by public, you know? So it's like, it's a safe space, but it's also like a caring space. And I think we forget that very often. So I think these tools, the tools that you and I do with making our product and the tools that he does with making his his videos, like I think these are all just ways we negotiate our mental health and our motivation and our positivity. Positivity and certainly joy are the primary drivers of building those bridges. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for taking the time to discuss early YouTube and your conversation with Padilla. And indeed, here is that conversation. I'm here with Anthony Padilla, who is by far one of the most uh, interesting and incredible characters of YouTube that I've ever studied, understood, and everything. Before there was a YouTube, there was an Anthony Padilla. Uh, <laughs> Smosh pre <laughs> Smosh exists YouTube, and li is, is literally part of the history of how we understand the platform. And uh, Anthony, I don't think you know, but I used to, I taught a I started a web television program back in 2007 before people were like thinking about how to teach this, mm -hmm. and so. Smosh was actually like part of like one of my very first lessons. Like what? Literally, like it was like when I started you... teaching YouTube, that was part of it. What were you teaching? I mean, like what? How did Smosh uh, pertain to that discussion? It was at the time there. There was a lot of, and as there is today, and this is something I actually want to talk to you about. Uh, at the time, uh -huh. there was a lot of like thought that YouTube itself was like a sandbox, like it was meant for cat videos. And I was like, mm -hmm. and I kept looking at like content like Lonely Island and Smosh and being like, no, this is going to be something that <laughs> is like long term. Like this is like career makers. This is like a platform where people will become personalities. And I used uh. your 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 channel as like an exhibit as like, you have to understand this isn't like play. Like this is career. You know, like this is like what people mm. do. And so it, that is so cool. It was great to like see your evolution over the course of time and actually grow at the platform. And I, I mentioned to you last time how I, the piece that I always use, I teach a YouTubers class. So I think it's one of the few YouTubers class in the country. Um, yeah, I have, I have not heard of any. So that, that yeah, it's, probably the only one. It's fun because I teach about like, um, how to, how to use linguistics, what ways to speak and which ways to talk about it. But I always have used, um, you're stuck in a toilet episode. <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched that one the other day. Cause you mentioned that one to me and I was like, okay, you know what? This one stands the test of time. I think this one works. It, it does work and it holds up. And as I mentioned to you in that episode, you're wearing your uh, awesome shirt, which becomes like uh -huh. the, the thing you like ended up working with and selling and having merch of. And now you have your best interviewer shirt on your I Spent a Day With show. And I always love that yeah. that's like a good reference, a mimetic reference it's, back to like it, some of that. Yeah, it's funny too, because I didn't realize it was going to be, it was a reference to that, but it, it so clearly is. I guess that, I don't know, I just like making really poor quality shirts in my head. That's just like a cool thing to do, I guess. It's very consistent. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So how tell me about the transition from Smosh to Anthony Padilla channel and I spent a day with. How'd you start this series and why you started it? Yeah, that was a super um I would say like difficult time in my life, but I guess I guess it was more of a difficult time in my career because I knew that what was going on uh with Smosh and and you know, certain background elements with the company that we were with uh, just wasn't really working for me creatively. Um, 
So I knew that I had to transition to do my own thing, but I didn't know what that was. And mm-hmm. kind of with the way things were set up, I, I almost had to just figure it out as I was going. And I realized very quickly that, you know, when, when I first started, um, you know, making Smosh videos and they became popular, it was a slow, it was a slow burn. It was a slow transition to that popularity. So I didn't feel that pressure of needing it to, to like, you know, live up to expectations or, or anything. But then going off and doing my own thing, I had all these eyeballs on me. You know, everyone was mm-hmm. waiting to see what I would do next. You know, how was I going to prove that leaving Smosh was the best idea? And I feel like that kind of pressure tormented me to a certain degree. I felt like I needed to live up to everyone's expectations while also proving that I could do something unique and something independently, you know, separate from a duo, separate from a company. And it was tough because I felt like I needed to appeal to all those old uh, fans with Smosh content and I felt like I needed to do almost the exact same thing but put my own spin on it. Um, and I feel like that just didn't work out. It wasn't, it wasn't in my cards to do that same exact type of content. And uh, I, I interviewed a few people a few big YouTubers when I first transitioned to do my own thing and kind of comedically asked them questions about what it meant to be a YouTuber in 2017. And I realized just how much I really enjoyed interviewing people, uh, but I still really fell onto the comedy that I felt accustomed to, that I felt like I had to live up to with Smosh. So eventually that it came a time where I got a brand deal to advertise this 360 camera and I was trying I was racking my brain trying to figure out how am I going to advertise this this product yeah, how do you fit that in yeah and and like it just seems so weird because 360 just isn't a thing that works on on YouTube it just hasn't been proven right. so I was like okay so I have to prove that this is a good co- like prove that this this product is worth purchasing even though no one wants 360 content right now um, so I, I decided to do something that would work in 2D, but had that uh, spin, and I interviewed yeah. Flat Earthers, and the joke was like, oh, it's shot in 360, but it's for people that believe that the Earth is not a sphere. Yeah. Um, so that, that actually you know, worked out really well, and people really enjoyed that video, which I ended up titling, I Spent a Day with Flat Earthers. Mm-hmm. But the problem that I soon learned was that I just wasn't taking the interview seriously at all. I was kind of making fun of or poking fun at the, the concept of being a flat earther because I personally find it so ridiculous with all the scientific evidence that proves otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of going in there like, what is, how crazy are these things that these people believe? But you know, I, as, I, as that video became popular and I realized how much I, I enjoyed interviewing people, I got the opportunity to sit down and interview furries. And at that time, the concepts were still like, here are people that many people don't agree with or have problems with, right. or they're just like greatly misunderstood people. And I, I feel like I initially went into that interview thinking like, well, well we're gonna get some weird furry stuff today. But <laughs> sitting down with these people, I, I, I realized just how much there, there really was a very, very, human side obviously they're obviously human they're not animals as much as they like to wear the costumes (laughs) but i feel like many of us in our society get it in our head that people who do strange things like wear animal costumes are just 
like there's no humanity to them. And mm -hmm. in asking them questions and diving in deeper, I, I kind of realized just how quick, like how quickly I was to, to have uh, a preconceived notion about what certain types of people are really like. And right. I, I became very, very curious about what, what their reasoning was for doing these things. And I quickly realized that, oh, of course, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a hobby. It's something right. that they just really love doing. It's a way for them to express themselves. And after that video came out, there was uh, an outpouring of comments from people saying that this was the first time that they felt heard. They felt like someone had asked them questions and was genuinely curious about them and their lives. And it was something that they could show their, their family members or their friends who they might have grown distant to because those friends found what they were doing to be so strange or so taboo. And it was a way for many people to reconnect with friends who might have otherwise shunned them. And yeah, and you were treating them as humans, as people. And it was like, I think that was like the nicest thing that I'd seen in like a YouTube space that for the last five or six years has become kind of like chaotic in some ways. Mm -hmm. And like your work kind of like showed people that like we're all different and we're all pretty unique. Like, and mm -hmm. then we, we might be into different and interesting things. So your, your empathy there was like really clear. And it was at the, was that the moment you switched and you decided, Oh, I'm going to start doing like more of this. You mentioned on your, one of your most recent episodes that it's like scary to change formats because you never know how the algorithm's going to react or the audience. Yeah. Were, were you scared to change it or were you just like, I'm going in, I'm, I'm going to do this series. Oh yeah. No, I was, I was super scared to make this series kind of my thing. So I was going back and forth, you know, trickling in a little bit here and there, but also doing my really outlandish, uh, comedy <laughs> stuff that was kind of just there to make you laugh because it was uncomfortable or awkward. And I started realizing how much more of an impact, how much more deeply people felt affected by these interviews and learning about people and, and seeing um, you know, some empathy being presented for all different walks of life. I mean, this isn't like burger on the bottom of a toilet. I mean, this is like <laughs> real, like even your modern, your modern comedy was like, it was, it was maturing along with the platform itself. I think the, we forget that the platform is like still a teenager. Right. You know? So it's like, it, we're still, it's still growing. And like the content on it is kind of maturing with it in a very strange yeah. way. And so like, this is, it's, it seems like to me, like that type of evolution wasn't, was it a, I'm not sure if it was a calling for you or, or if you felt like it was just like the right way to go, but do you feel like you, how, where do you feel like you fit in, in the YouTube environment as a whole? I feel like I've never, I feel like I, I've, I've been having a lot of trouble figuring out where exactly I fit in. And I feel like initially with Smosh, I, I knew right away that, that, you know, my space was to make people laugh, to, to distract people from, mm -hmm. um, you know, how terrible um, and apocalyptic <laughs> the world feels uh, at most times. And I, I felt like that was, that just made sense to me. It was like, you know, get some laughs, get some cheap laughs, get some whatever, just like make people laugh. It doesn't matter how. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, after I left Smosh and I was kind of doing that, that same thing, I started trying to put my finger on the pulse of what was popular on YouTube just for me to understand it. Cause I hadn't taken the time to really, um, you know, do any research into the way the platform was evolving. And I, I saw mm -hmm. that a lot of the content creators at the time 
uh, that were just starting to pick up steam were commentary channels, and of course I think that's cool. I love hearing people's opinions, but most of these commentary channels that I was paying attention to, uh, which were growing massively at the time, were really focused on bringing people down, proving how uh, you know silly these things were that these people did, and it, it kind of had this really negative connotation, this, this kind of just like shroud of negativity over yeah. every subject that I saw them talking about. And I, I remember talking to a few of my friends, I was like, why, why, is, why is YouTube this breeding ground for judgment? Why is everyone right. kind of like feeding on this negativity? And I realized that you know, while my content wasn't feeding on negativity, it also wasn't doing anything positive for the platform. And that was around the same time that I was getting, I was reading all those those comments from the, uh, the furry upload, and people were saying like how mm -hmm. refreshing it was to to see that kind of thing on YouTube, and I feel like it all just kind of clicked, and I felt like my space on on YouTube was kind of focusing in on showing empathy and asking people questions, and I I, I really do believe that if we would all take the time to get to, uh, to, to know someone, to ask questions, to, to really understand what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. And you know, even find out what it is about the things that they're doing that, that brings them joy, that there would be so many less conflicts, there'd be so much less judgment in the world. So that's exactly what I was like kind of getting at. So my research, like I've been not just studying YouTube since 06, but like in the early 20 teens, I started studying memes like academically, which is another mm -hmm. weird space that's like hard to explain to like people who don't really understand memes other than minions um and and one of the things about like the youtube why i ask about the environment is the algorithm and the recommendation system that's in it kind of feeds off certain energies and like i think you bring up a good point about like that that negative space there's like a period of time where like reactionary content was like really designed as like what the algorithm was like prioritizing and it's amazing to me Building off what you said, like when when I watch your your show now mm -hmm. on the right column, it's not all the all the recommendations are like, do you want to learn more about this subject? It's not like reactionary in any way. It's actually like pushes people into more of a a care space or like a, an affinity mm -hmm. space of like I want I'm curious. I, I've increased my curiosity here. So to me, that's like kind of awesome that you're like you're kind of bending the way that YouTube's operating too. Like uh, mm -hmm. just historically, from a historical standpoint of where your work sits historically as Smosh, and now it's like sitting in a new space where it's like fits directly into it. How does that, how does that make you feel? <laughs> it feels, I mean, it feels really, really nice to, to know that my content can hopefully inspire someone to be more curious about things. And I, I, I also have been seeing a lot of people saying that after watching enough of my content, they realize just, how, how much more curious they become to learn about people and the way that the world works. Yeah, and it, it really, really feels nice to know that my content can hopefully be kind of that, that launch pad for people to, to start learning more and just using my video as kind of the basis uh, to inspire that. So you as Anthony, what do you get from this personally? <laughs> I feel like it's really fulfilling to connect with people on a somewhat deep emotional level. and. I mean, like, if I'm being super selfish here, I'd say that it's forcing me to test my communication skills and to learn how to socialize with people because I have so much social anxiety. I've had, you know, growing up, my whole life I've been shy. I've had just tons of anxiety. My mom has agoraphobia due to 
um, just some of the most intense panic attacks mm -hmm. you can have. I've, I've uh, just kind of been surrounded by that anxiety my whole life, and I've also had my own fair share of panic attacks, mm -hmm. and I feel like a huge part of that comes from social anxiety. And this series is forcing me to constantly exercise that muscle in communicating with people and socializing. Yeah, the, the questions you ask are like really not just surface level. Like you, you often ex actually explain that you like to, that's not shallow material, that this is like deep material. So how did you learn to become like this type of thing? And do you, do you see yourself outside of YouTube like doing this as well? <laughs> yeah, I definitely do this. This I, I ask these kinds of questions all the time. Um, I can't really pinpoint a single thing because I, I definitely haven't always been this curious or, or good at kind of pulling out deeper conversations like this and, and you know, having that kind of safe space for a vulnerable conversation. Um, I feel like it's just been many things combined together and I feel like one of those big things is uh, personally I started going to therapy and mm -hmm. really seeing the benefits of talking about my feelings and my my life and my past and I feel like I learned a lot of things just from discussing my life with my therapist and mm -hmm. also kind of being able to you know put myself in her shoes and then at the same time I feel like I don't know. I feel like unintentionally, she was my therapist was my mentor in many ways. Yeah, hey, I have to give you credit on that because that's that. I was always this part of this belief where I was like, I could fix this on my own. You know, I could do this, and I went through a really, really tough time, like at work mm. and like the school I worked at, and I was like, I, I don't yeah. know if I could do this by myself. And like mm. that, that therapy like helped us start this digital void project, and it like helped me start oh. like all my writing and like. It's kind of yeah. like a way where we start connecting. Like anxiety, I think I was I was just actually talking to a former student. We were talking about like it's not a good time right now to have this anxiety, you know? And so your your yeah, work Yeah. How, how does your audience feel? Like do they do they feel do, are they, you giving them? Do you feel like you're giving them this space, like this outlet of like comfort and curiosity that that is helping them to this like it's a very difficult period we're going through right now. Yeah, I haven't really thought of it that way, but but I suppose that's a good point. I do feel like people can hopefully watch my videos and, and see that there are people who are willing to discuss these kinds of things, whether it's you know on my end or, or one of my guests' ends. There's people who are willing to discuss and talk about these things and, and, and listen and truly try to understand. And I have seen some people saying that watching me discuss things with my guests has kind of given them some foundation for how they can also discuss deeper, more more vulnerable things going on in their life with their friends and their family. That's see, that's to me is incredible because that is exactly the thing that I think YouTube is getting better at. Uh, Susan Wojcicki and others are, and Robert Kinsler are talking about how content creators themselves they've never been they've never had the pressure. It's not part of the way YouTube set up. You don't you're, so you're not responsible for the audience, but if you're able to help them in any way, that's that's gotta feel somewhat good. Yeah, I mean, I, I came to a point in my career where my views were suffering. I was creatively feeling like I was just at a standstill. I really hit a wall, both creatively and just like in terms of having an audience that cared about what I was talking about. And I, I really had to, to dig in deeper within myself to kind of come up with kind of like a mission statement. I realized that I, I needed a mission statement to feel like I was doing 
what I was doing for a reason. And at that point, I was almost like, if I can't think of a mission statement, if I can't think of a reason at the end of the day that I can look back and say, this is why I made this thing, then it was probably time for me to take a step away or take a break from the platform entirely and kind of just figure that out. But it just kind of all funneled into this one direction, which is the one that I'm going in now, where I, I realize now that my mission statement is to be more curious, to ask more questions, to shine a light on subjects that many people might not feel comfortable discussing but are very important. And I feel like at the end of the day now I get to kind of reflect and think about the way that my content may affect my guests or my viewers. So as you reflect on what you've learned with your series, what do you feel you've learned and what are you most proud of? I've learned how much people really do enjoy being asked questions when it comes from a very genuine place of curiosity. I feel like many people are afraid to ask too many questions because they, they don't want to feel like they're prying, but I feel like if you could tell that someone's genuinely curious, there's, there's really no limit to how, how much you can really get to know someone by asking questions. What are you most proud of? Like, what is the, the thing you walk away and why? Like, what is the thing that like, you've done like I, all your episodes have some sort of meaningful impact and like uh, my favorite recently is the one with the dissociative identity disorder oh and yeah that, yeah not, not that i want you to focus on that as that was the answer <laughs> of it but but that one to me was like your care during nin switches was like oh, i haven't mm. seen an interviewer do that in so so long <laughs> you know like actually care and actually have like this efficacy and empathy and I'm like wow that's awesome like that's so refreshing but that not that i'm saying that's like what you're what you should be most proud of but what what yeah. do you find is like your most proud moment during this series period the, the work you've been doing i mean honestly yeah that <laughs> that is one of the moments i'm i'm most proud of and it wasn't just like, oh, I was able to, to show empathy on camera and, and not be scared about showing that or whatever, but it was, I feel like that's something that I'd really seen lacking with all the interviews that I'd seen. And I'm, I remember just like how much, and I still kind of do, but I remember how much I would like scream at the screen whenever I'd watch interviewers <laughs> interviewing people and there'd be like, the guests would be going through something and either they would just ask the next question or, they would kind of look a little uncomfortable, wait for them to calm down and then move on. But for me, I really want my series to feel like in many ways, the viewer is a fly on the wall watching two people catch up, whether they've known each other for a long time or you know, maybe we're like, we know each other online, we're meeting for the first time in person, but we're not afraid to be vulnerable with each other. And I'm really proud of this space that I've created where my guests feel comfortable and opening up and letting that th these really vulnerable stories shine through and, and have a spotlight on them in front of my audience that just shows how much they trust me, how much they trust my audience to have their back if there's someone talking shit in the comments or whatever. <laughs> and also I'm, I'm really proud of the space that I've been able to create for my audience to, to watch as well and for, for them to, to see that it's okay to, to feel these emotions, it's okay to talk about these things. And, it's okay to show empathy to people going through these things as well. You know, especially, especially with me growing up, um, you know, I felt like there was this, there was, and there still is a lot of toxic masculinity uh, kind of just so deeply ingrained into our culture, and mm -hmm. our society that's taught us, especially for, for, for me being, being a guy, I've, I've been kind of 
taught by society that it's, it's not okay to be vulnerable, to show your emotions, to be super empathetic and supportive of people going through a hard time. And that's kind of always bugged me that, that I've, I've seen that kind of mindset uh, you know, so, so rampant. And I've, I've never really felt attached to that idea. I've always kind of felt, which is strange, but I've always kind of felt like I was going against the grain and, and not subscribing to those ideas. And I'm really, really proud of how many people seem to also agree with that sentiment. Honestly, genuinely beautiful answer. Thank you. Um, what, last question, but what's, what's your favorite thing it's a light, light, light question here. What, <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, I, w- I would love to know what you, as a, a being on the platform since before it was born, like, <laughs> what's your favorite thing to watch on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, lately, I've really, really loved watching anything from Kurskasakt, which, uh, you know, they make animated educational videos on things relating to, uh, you know, all things science. And uh, I just think it's, absolutely incredible. I feel like it, it kind of inspired me to want to make more content that would leave people feeling like they were surprised by how much they they learned and would be able to reflect on that content later. Because, you know, I do love I do love the content that I used to describe it as, as shallow content, but really what I think it is is just content that gets our minds off of things and allows our brains to take a break. Uh, and I, I do really love a lot of that too. So So I'm not afraid to to uh, you know, just kind of go down rabbit holes, clicking on stuff on YouTube. That's what the algorithm's there for, right? I mean, like you don't even have to know who you're watching. You just keep clicking based on thumbnails, and that's it. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes it goes deep and endless. So you got to like just make sure you're not stuck it's an on it endless forever. Bit. But it's, I'm glad people. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But I'm glad that your content is there and actually, in my opinion, like fulfilling the space of like social good and uh, empathetic content that I think is a, a very refreshing a- after these the last se- several years of like what what's been going on. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I'm thank you. Yeah, I'm really honored that people are taking the time out of their busy lives. You know, we, we all want, uh, you know, quick content that's easy to digest and, and move on because there's so much going on in our lives and so many other things to worry about. So I'm really honored that people are taking the time to to watch my videos consistently, even when they're 20 to 30 or even longer, yep. you know, 20, 30 minutes long. And that's that's a lot of time to take out of your day to watch a piece of content on YouTube. Well, it's good content. So <laughs> that thank works. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have anything you want to, yeah. oh, we, we know where to find you, but do you want to add anything or plug anything? Find some places to donate. Don't be afraid to do something charitable because our government sure as hell is not taking care of us. So we're going to have to step in and, and make some contributions where we see fit. So. That's all I'd have to say. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Anthony Padilla for joining us today. You can follow Anthony at youtube.com slash Anthony Padilla and on Twitter at Anthony Padilla. Make sure to subscribe to the Digital Void podcast on your favorite podcast provider and leave us positive feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Send us feedback at digivoidmedia at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.